We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go. Episode 142 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, September 10th, 2021. The first true football Friday on the pod as football season now is totally on. College football got going about two weeks ago and the NFL regular season began on Thursday night with looky looky a loss for the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> yes, ha ha is right. And I don't mean ha ha. Clinton Dix, a 31-29 Cowboys loss at the reigning, defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers on opening night. What a game. Uh, That was a great game. Uh, Yes, Dak Prescott looked pretty good, uh, but the Cowboys defense still not good enough, at least not on Thursday night. And so as we speak on this first true Football Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the Cowboys are 0-1 and in last place in the NFC East, in which we have a three-way tie atop the division. The Washington football team, the New York Giants, and the Philadelphia Eagles. Each team is O and O, but our Washington football team will not be O and O for long because our Washington football team has a game on Sunday, a regular season opener. Home to the Los Angeles Chargers at one. I have for you on this show a run-through of various pertinent issues for Washington's offense and defense as the regular season for the Washington football team is about to begin. We have been preparing for this moment on this podcast for months. We have gone through all of the topics, all of the developments, all of the storylines. It's time to get this 2021 Washington football team regular season going. So we'll check in on some things going on with Washington's offense and defense off Scott Turner and Jack Del Rio speaking on Thursday via post-practice press conferences. Now, among these pertinent issues, where are we with Curtis Samuel? Uh, The answer appears to be not in a good place in terms of his availability for Sunday. We'll get into that and a lot more. Also, I have the season debut of rhyming keys, my keys to a Washington win over the Chargers at FedEx Field in rhyming fashion. I will give to you my prediction for the game and 
I will give to you my projected record for the Washington football team in the 2021 regular season. We have a lot of ground to cover, people, on this show. I will talk college football as I have Goldilocks for you, my weekly college football picks against the spreads for Maryland, Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. And I'll talk Nationals and Orioles later in the show. One of the most entertaining games of the Nat season happened on Thursday night, though the game ended up being a loss, a uh, 7-6, 10-inning loss at the National League East leading Atlanta Braves. Lots to get into with that game. The Orioles got shut out at home, a 6-0 loss to the Kansas City Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Thursday night in front of a little more than 5,000 fans. Boy, are the crowds at Camden Yards these days just so tiny, Uh, although John Means did pitch well on Thursday night. That was good to see. A friendly reminder, uh, when you have like 30 seconds to kill, especially if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, uh, please give the podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. And please write like, uh, you know, a one or two sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet uh, done that. Those things help out a lot. Uh, You can hit pause on your iPhone or iPad right now and do those things. And I thank you for doing those things. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. All right. So the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I feel like I should say something, even though everyone is going to be saying something, you know, you're going to be inundated with people saying their some things. And I know that you don't necessarily listen to this podcast for me to say my something. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you uh, where I was on 9-11 and how I found out. Everyone has that story. I feel like people tell those stories just to hear themselves tell those stories, not because those stories are usually that interesting. I'll say this, though. It remains incredible to me that the kind of evil that was behind 9-11 exists in this world. But obviously, such evil does exist. But that there were people and are people who spend their lives scheming up and executing things like the 9-11 attacks really is unbelievable when you think about it, that that kind of sick, evil behavior exists, that people can be so committed to perpetrating such evil. Uh, I will never understand that. But obviously, extreme evil uh, has existed forever, you know? History is filled with extreme evil. I mean, the Holocaust happened, you know, and the kind of sheer evil behind the Holocaust, the kind of sheer evil behind 9-11 will never cease to amaze me. I I know that sticks with me as much as anything with 9-11. If there are actual people who put a plan together to pull off those attacks. So you think about and pray for, if you are religious, uh, the victims of 9-11 and their families, and honestly, the victims of all evil. I mean, who knows what's going on in Afghanistan right now with the Taliban in control of that debacle? You know, don't even get me started on that. But if someone you know or love was a victim on 9-11, I know that you have people thinking about that someone and thinking about you. And this is why sports are so great, because they are a distraction from these things that matter, you know, obviously so much more and are so much more serious. And I know that you listen to this podcast for that distraction. You listen to this podcast for the discussion of the stuff that doesn't really truly matter in the grand scheme of things, but that's okay. The stuff brings joy to many people in many ways. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. We need as much joy as possible in this world. And so let us get to this stuff right now. All right, the Washington football team will begin its 2021 regular season on Sunday, home to the Los Angeles Chargers at one. Now, Ron Rivera did not do a post-practice press conference on Thursday. It turns out that the press conference requirements for NFL head coaches have been altered, and so Ron will not be doing press conferences on Thursdays this season. So it would appear as if Thursdays are for the Washington football team coordinators, as all three of Washington's coordinators spoke via post-practice press conference on Thursday. Offensive coordinator Scott Turner, defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio, and special teams coordinator Nate Katzer. Uh, I was initially a little concerned about Ron with him not doing a presser on Thursday. Last season, when Ron did not do pressers, it was because he was getting treatment for cancer. Uh, Ron, of course, battled cancer last year, what was squamous cell carcinoma. Thankfully, seems to be doing just fine right now. Uh, But if you are dealing with skin cancer or someone you know is dealing with skin cancer, always know that a great friend of this podcast, a big fan of the Washington football team and an excellent doctor, Dr. George Verghese, is there for you. Dr. George Verghese is the medical director for the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. He's a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs Surgeon. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland focuses on medical dermatology and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care, including something very special and cutting-edge called superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is revolutionary. It's a non-surgical skin cancer treatment that's safe and effective. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects that go with surgery. You have options. Understand that a non-surgical option in SRT is available. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301 306-3401. Make sure that you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401, or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. All right, so next segment, I'm going to go in-depth on Washington's defense of Jack Del Rio's post-practice press conference on Thursday. But right now, a deep dive on Washington's offense of Scott Turner's post-practice press conference on Thursday. So it sure seems like Curtis Samuel will not be playing on Sunday. Uh, Sure, things could change, but Samuel on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to this groin injury, and it remains that the only player on Washington's injury report this week is Curtis Samuel. That's it. No other Washington player is on the injury report. So that's the good news. The bad news is Samuel is on the injury report, and he has been a DNP, did not practice each of these last two days now, Wednesday and Thursday. Now, for the Chargers, running back Austin Eckler did not practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day. He's dealing with a hamstring injury, so we'll see what his status ends up being for Sunday, but that is a potentially very big absence for the Chargers. Austin Eckler 
if he can't play. Uh, but this work week, which started off in an encouraging fashion with Samuel on Monday participating in team drills at Washington practice for the first time since OTAs, is ending with extreme pessimism regarding Samuel playing on Sunday. Now, Samuel being out would, of course, mean increased opportunity for others, including rookie Diami Brown. Uh, I am very excited to watch Diami Brown in the burgundy and the gold. I know that many of you are as well. Uh, this guy was a sensational deep threat for North Carolina the last two seasons. You could say that the Tar Heels missed Diami Brown last Friday evening in that loss at Virginia Tech. Scott Turner on Thursday on how Diami is doing in terms of running all of the routes in the route tree, uh, as that was a concern regarding Diami going into the 2021 NFL draft. I no, no issue. I mean, everyone's going to, you know, no one's perfect, you know, but that's the case with any receiver, but no, no issue. He's been above average in that standpoint. Um, I think the questions for that were just because he didn't do it, you know, and that's, and that to me, like you just never know, you know, and we try to spend guy, time with guys pre-draft, um, but we only have a limited amount of time and you don't really know. We, I, you know, we've been through this with a lot of different receivers and we've been through with guys that moved around some that just can't handle it when they get the NFL. And then you get the, the flip side of that was, is this, you know, situation where he pretty much lined up on one side and, you know, outside the whole time, but, you know, we've moved him around a lot and he hasn't missed a beat. So, you just you just don't you just don't know about these guys until you get them in your building. No, you don't. Now, of course, nothing matters more for Washington offensively this season than the quarterback play being better. I mean, we've talked about it for months on this podcast. Washington last regular season was atrocious when it came to passing offense. Washington in the 2020 regular season dead last in the NFL in passing offense DVOA for football outsiders and dead last in the NFL, in team total QBR per ESPN. You can't be worse than dead last. Ryan Fitzpatrick is here to bring Washington's passing game back to respectability and hopefully higher than that. Scott Turner on Thursday on having a veteran QB1 to begin this season, as opposed to having had a young QB1 to begin last season in Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, I mean, uh, Fitz has been great. You know, the just the communication the, between us has been really good. And he's, you know, some guys, when you got a younger player, they don't really know what they like or they don't like. And Fitz has been around long enough to really be able to have, have input. Um, and that's really helped, you know, mold kind of what we're becoming. Now, something that has not gotten a lot of attention over these last few months is that the Washington football team has two new starting offensive tackles this season. That's kind of significant, right? New starting left tackle, new starting right tackle. Uh, Charles Leno Jr. at left tackle, Samuel Cosme at right tackle. Uh, Leno will be Washington's fourth different week one starting left tackle over the last four seasons, 2018 Trent Williams, 2019 Donald Penn, 2020 Jaron Christian, 2021 Leno, who Washington signed as a free agent in May, often having been released by the Chicago Bears earlier that month. Cosme handily beat out the guy who ended last season as Washington's starting left tackle, Cornelius Lucas, for the starting right tackle spot. Now, Lucas spending the first week of training camp on the reserve COVID-19 list didn't help his cause, but Cosme has done a good job here. Ron Rivera raved about Cosme weeks ago. Every indication is that Cosme 
has done well. Washington took Cosme in the second round of the 2021 NFL Draft out of Texas. Scott Turner on Thursday on Cosme and Leno. Yeah, Cosme, uh, he's been outstanding. He's gotten better and better every day from when he got here in the spring. Um, you know, I think everyone saw the athletic measurables and everything when he got drafted. Uh, but he's a real, you know, he's a tough guy. He doesn't say very much at all. Um, and he just puts the work in. And, and that's, you know, he's reaping the benefits of that because um, he's getting better, you know. And I think he earned his teammates' um, respect and trust you know, by that, you know, now he's got to go play, you know, in the regular season is a big difference. Um, but we're excited about Sam, the way he's going. And then, uh, you know, big Leno, you know, again, he's been great, uh, professional, you know, left tackle and um, just kind of stepped right in and fit, fit in with the, with the rest of the group. Yeah, you heard Scott reference Cosme's athleticism. Samuel Cosme, one of many athletic freaks taken by Washington in the 2021 draft. Heck, you could argue that Samuel Cosme was the freakiest of the athletic freaks taken by Washington in the 2021 draft. That relative athletic score metric that you've likely heard me reference, the RAS metric, Samuel Cosme rated number two out of 1,119 offensive tackle prospects from 1987 through 2021 in terms of RAS metric. Number two at a 1,119. Again, he's a freak. Uh, Will Washington be as good in short yardage situations this season as Washington was last season? That's something to be thinking about as the Washington football team regular season is about to get going here. So gone, of course, is Washington's short yardage back from last season. Peyton Barber, Washington released him in the cut down to 53 now two Tuesdays ago, signed him back to the practice squad, but the Las Vegas Raiders signed Barber to their active roster off Washington's practice squad last Saturday. So Barber in the 2020 regular season averaged just 2.74 yards on 94 carries, but his season was much better than his yards per carry suggests. Barber rushed for four touchdowns. Barber was very efficient on short yardage runs. He had 28 carries on plays on which Washington had three or fewer yards to go for a first down or touchdown. 21 of those 28 carries resulted in a first down or a touchdown. And Washington in the 2020 regular season finished tied for seventh in the NFL in power success rate for football outsiders at 73%. Power success rate is the percentage of successful third and fourth down runs requiring no more than two yards for a first down or touchdown, not adjusted for opponent. That's always something to look at in terms of, well, how is my team doing when it comes to the short yardage game? Uh, Washington last season, top 10 in the NFL, again, tied for seventh in the NFL in power success rate. Scott Turner on Thursday on what Washington's plan is for short yardage situations now that Barber is gone. Yeah, I mean, uh, Peyton, you know, did a nice job for for us last year. And again, that's one of the deals that's, that's tough in this profession. Um, but all those guys, you know, all those guys will step up. You know, we we play, we play them all. I mean, I think Antonio had the highest percentage of the snaps last year, and he'll probably be around that same deal. Um, but, you know, we'll, we, we have the guys that are active on game day, and they're all, all um, going to be asked to contribute in those areas as well as others. Yeah, remember this too with the short yardage game. Washington at times used Logan Thomas in that regard last season. So, you know, you can put Thomas under center as your quarterback. You can utilize him as a short yardage running back. Like there are some things you can do with Logan Thomas if, in fact, 
say, Antonio Gibson or Jarrett Patterson is getting the job done when it comes to short yardage carries. So this regular season opener against the Chargers at FedEx Field on Sunday, not an easy game to prepare for if you're Scott Turner. There are a lot of unknowns with the Chargers. First of all, the Chargers have a rookie head coach in Brandon Staley. Uh, He's 38, got the Chargers head coaching job off just one season as defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams. So you have a new head coach for the Chargers. Uh, He will have a heavy say in the defense. So schematically, things may be different for the Chargers. The Chargers barely played any players of consequence in the preseason. And the Chargers have a number of new defensive players. So there's very little that we know about this Chargers defense. But Washington does have its defensive backs coach, Chris Harris. He was the Chargers assistant defensive backs coach from 2016 through 2019. Can Chris Harris be used as a resource for Scott Turner in scheming against the Chargers defense? Yeah, absolutely. Like um, we were talking about um, just, you know, getting to know their personnel um, and, you know, that was someone that spent time with them. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a great resource. And we, we try to dig and use that any resource that we can, you know, to get as much, much knowledge as we can, especially when you're getting ready to play an opener, you know, where, you know, there's not a lot just of film you can, you can go off of. Now, Scott Turner did game plan for the Brandon Staley defensive coordinated Rams last season, and uh, things did that go so well. Uh, week five of last season, the Washington football team fell to one and four with a 30-10 loss to the Rams at a rainy FedEx field. Washington's offense was horrible in that game. Remember, this was the first game of Dwayne Haskins having been benched and demoted to QB3. Kyle Allen was Washington's starting quarterback, but he got knocked out of the game on the final play before the two-minute warning in the second quarter. And so Alex Smith played in a game for the first time since his right leg got mangled in that loss to the Houston Texans at FedEx Field in November 2018. Alex remained in the game to begin the second half, despite Kyle Allen having been cleared to come back into the game. And Washington's offense in the second half was putrid. Washington in the second half of that game had minus six total net yards of offense. Yeah, minus six total net yards of offense in the second half. Alex in that second half went four of 11 for two yards and got sacked five times. But this also was a really bad game for Scott Turner. His offense got eviscerated by Aaron Donald. And I know Aaron Donald is the best interior defensive lineman in the NFL. Heck, you could argue he's the best defensive player in the NFL. Heck, there are people who will tell you that Aaron Donald is the best player, period, in the NFL. But Scott Turner seemingly had no plan for Aaron Donald in this game. Donald finished the game with four sacks, was named NFC Defensive Player of the Week. He was not double teamed on any of the four plays that resulted in his four sacks. And what stood out as much as anything was how Scott Turner just allowed Aaron Donald to wreak havoc. Uh, Washington did little, if any, of the following on Donald. Trap Donald. Chip Donald. Utilize gap scheme. Check runs away from Donald. Very snap counts. I mean, give me something. Washington did like nothing on Aaron Donald. It just didn't make a lot of sense 
and the results were brutal. Anyway, uh, this was a game against a Brandon Staley scheme defense. Scott Turner on Thursday on Brandon Staley's defense. You know, Coach uh, Coach Staley does a great job as far as just, um, you know, he kind of d- disguises his coverages. He does a nice job of making stuff look the same. Um, um, look the same. Uh, his biggest thing is, you know, he puts his playmakers in, in good positions and he moves them around. So you can't just like focus on a spot, you know. So I'm sure he's got some some of those up his sleeve, you know, for the game. We're just going to have to, you know, have to adjust um, into that. But you know, coverage wise, you know, he gets a lot of eyes on the quarterback, you know, and they'll, uh, you know, they rally and make tackles. And um, speaking of the Rams, they were great tacklers, and I expect you know them to the charge to be good tacklers as well and that's a challenge for our guys to to be able to get those extra yards you know um but you know it's just a it's just a sound defense you know that gives you some gives you multiple looks and uh, you know really highlights their playmakers yeah brandon staley is a good young coach just like i think scott turner is a good young coach i didn't love uh, what he did for that rams game last season but i did like a lot of what scott turner did as last season went on. I think Scott Turner is a progressive thinker. The Washington football team last season did a lot in the way of motion, did a lot in the way of throwing on first downs. There was a lot to like, I thought, with Washington's offense schematically. And never forget, in that loss to the eventual Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wildcard round, Washington had pass catchers running screaming wide open. Scott Turner out-schemed Todd Bowles for that game. You know, Todd Bowles is regarded as one of the best defensive coordinators in football. Scott Turner, to me, outcoached Todd Bowles in that game. One of the reasons Taylor Heineke had the game that he did in that game was that Scott Turner schemed things up to where you had guys wide open for a good chunk of that game. But where are we now with Scott Turner as a play caller? I mean, he's going into just his second full season as an NFL offensive coordinator. So where does Scott view himself, especially coming off his first normal offseason with Washington? Um, well, you know, I hope I hope that I've gotten better. You know, I feel like I've gotten better. I feel like you got to consistently try to get better um, in this league. Uh, you know, this year, just, just having the time with the players, I think, is huge, like, to what you're talking about. Um, and... And then also just like the group, I think every like our entire group has gotten better. You know, we've gotten better, and that that to me is what's going to help us. You know, more than more than you know, me calling my whatever number game this is that I've called as opposed to second. I think just overall, like with working with our coaching staff, um, the players that we brought in, the guys that we've had, you know, the overall improvement that's going to really not like coming up with some new play or doing anything like that, that's what's really going to speak to to our success, you know, over the course of this season. Yeah, Washington's offense has got to be better this season as compared to last season. Everybody knows it. I think that Washington's offense will be better, and I'm really excited to see what this passing game looks like with Ryan Fitzpatrick, at quarterback, with some of the new weapons at receiver when you think about Deami Brown and Adam Humphreys and eventually... Curtis Samuel, and when you think about the growth that may be on display from guys like Antonio Gibson, Logan Thomas, and yeah, Terry McLaurin, who still can be getting better as he goes into just his third season. Well, if you need to sell your home, you want someone who's going to scheme up the right plan, and John Grandland of Real Broker is the ultimate coordinator of selling your home. He is the mastermind. He is the originator of Commission Flex. Don't pay some flat 
overinflated commission to some real estate agent who's not going to even do that great of a job. Hire John Granlin to sell your home. The days of some flat commission rate, regardless of how easy it is to sell your home, are over. John Granlin is changing the game with his groundbreaking concept of commission flex. What is commission flex, you ask? It's simple, flexible commission rates. We know that Ron Rivera loves position flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron, position flex. Well, John Granlin is the originator of commission flex. You see, not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? It doesn't make sense. It's never made sense. If your house is going to sell in six minutes, don't pay 6%. If you need to sell your home, if you want to sell your home, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're just not satisfied with the way that things are going, contact John Grandlin. He will put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. You see, John Grandlin has a menu of commission packages from which you can choose, including selling your home for free. Yeah, you heard that right. For free, zero commission. Some conditions do apply. But interviewing John Granlin is an absolute no-brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly and there is never any obligation to list or sell. So do yourself a favor, call John Granlin. This is a phone call that literally could make and or save you tens of thousands of dollars. You have nothing to lose. John Granlin is a great guy, easygoing, no pressure, big Washington football team fan, by the way, big Nationals fan as well. But most importantly, he is a mastermind of DMV real estate. Call John G now, 703-537-6747. When you talk to John Granlin, make sure that you tell him that Al Galdi sent you and make sure that you ask John Granlin about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, Commission Flex. That phone number again, 703-537-6747 or visit John G sellsforfree.com. That's John G. Sellsforfree.com. John Grandlin. Nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he is the originator of Commission Flex. Position Flex. Yes, Ron. Just like Position Flex. All right, let's talk Washington football team defense right now as we get set for the start of Washington's regular season Sunday afternoon at 1 against the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field. So Jack Del Rio spoke on Thursday via post-practice press conference. It's funny to me with Jack because he, prior to becoming Washington's defensive coordinator in January 2020, had worked at ESPN as an NFL analyst. So he clearly has an understanding of the media, is an anti-media. Heck, he was a part of the media, and yet he comes off like he would rather be doing anything other than doing these post-practice press conferences. He only does one once a week during the regular season, but he comes off like he would rather be like undergoing a root canal than doing the press conference. And that, in conjunction with just this intense look that he perpetually has on his face, makes you think when he's doing these press conferences that he could snap at any moment, okay? Like, if you just say the wrong thing, he's going to go off, okay? And he might get violent with you. But you know what? I like that in my defensive coordinator. And so with that as a backdrop, let us talk Washington football team defense off what Jack had to say at his post-practice press conference 
on Thursday. So Washington on Sunday will, of course, be facing a quarterback in Justin Herbert, who had a terrific rookie season. It was the Associated Press Offensive Rookie of the Year for the 2020 season. Herbert in the 2020 regular season finished number 13 out of 33 qualified NFL quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR at 62.6 and had 31 touchdown passes versus 10 interceptions. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on Justin Herbert. Yeah, you know, talented, talented young quarterback. Uh, got all the, all the different tools that you look for. You know, he's got mobility. He's got arm strength. Uh, he's clearly a good decision maker. You know, all those things. He can really throw the football. So he's, yeah, he's a good football player. And there you go. Ultra enthusiastic Jack. Uh, Now, something that was particularly impressive about Justin Herbert last season was how well he did on third downs. The Chargers finished the 2020 regular season ninth in the NFL in third down efficiency. Why was Herbert so good on third downs last season? Here was Jack's answer on Thursday. He's got some good receivers. Get open. He's accurate. Throws the ball. You know, a guy like Keenan Allen. Uh, tremendous football player, great route runner, very dependable, tough. Uh, so I think, I think having guys like that helps. But uh, but he's accurate, you know, throws the ball well, makes good decisions. So I thought they did a, a good job last year, and obviously they changed systems. It'll it'll change a little bit for him, but um, he still has a lot of the weapons that he that he used before. And um, so anyway, we're preparing accordingly. Yes, you are. Now, how Washington's defense does on Sunday against Herbert and the Chargers will be part of the answer to a larger question. Does Washington's defense start fast this season? For all of the defensive improvement for Washington last regular season, the defense did not get off to a great start. Now, some of that was the bad Washington offense. Uh, Some of that was some personnel stuff like Landon Collins and Troy Apke struggling as Washington's starting safeties. Some of that was guys getting used to Jackson, Rod Rivera's new scheme and new techniques. And some of that was who Washington played early last season, you know, at Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals, at Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns, home to Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. The schedule did soften as the season went on. Jack on Thursday on Washington's defense getting off to a fast start this season. Yeah, I think I think starting fast is is important. Obviously, it's an emphasis point. Um, I, I look at you know as we went through the year, I thought we improved throughout the year. We want to do the same thing this year. We just want to start a little a little faster, and um, but we want to continue to improve as we go throughout the year. And so, um, you know, having had the year that we did last year together, having had camp in an off season. All of the things that we were never looking for an alibi last year, but the reality is we feel like we're further ahead in in the development, in the cohesiveness, in the understanding of of what we're doing, how we're doing it. So uh, that's the good part. And then you look at the gauntlet of quarterbacks that we're going to face and and all of that, and you recognize you better be on top of things. So um, it's... uh, We've got, we've got a lot of opportunities to compete against the very best this league has to offer. We're looking forward to it starting this week. 
Yeah, and you heard Jack mention opportunities. That brings us to the schedule. As you may have heard, uh, Washington's schedule on paper seems a lot harder than what last season's schedule ended up being, particularly in terms of opposing quarterbacks. Barring the unforeseen, Washington will not be facing the likes of Carson Wentz, Ben DiNucci, Ryan Finley, and Nate Sudfeld in the 2021 regular season. The murderer's row of opposing quarterbacks that Washington is set to face. Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Matt Ryan, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, Dak Prescott twice in three weeks in December. Uh, boy, did Dak look good on Thursday night. You got to give the devil his due. Uh, here was Jack on Thursday on the Washington football team's schedule for the 2021 regular season. Well, it's just a challenge. It's a challenge. I mean, it's, you know, they're backs, receivers. There's, there's talent every week. Uh, the league is full of talented players and coaches preparing to, to compete with you. Um, so, I just I, I, I look forward to the opportunity to compete against the very best, and we're certainly going to see that as we go throughout the, the uh, schedule. Um, we take them one week at a time, and my approach has always been you know, fear nobody uh, but respect them. And, um, and so we're starting out this week against a guy that's, that's a really good player, uh, good football team, and um, you know, looking forward to having them here at home. I got to tell you, I like that from Jack. Fear nobody, but respect them. My approach has always been, you know, fear nobody, uh, but respect them. Yeah, I should make that the mantra for this podcast. Fear nobody, but respect them. You know, fear nobody, uh, but respect them. Yeah, just saying that makes you sound like a tough guy like Jack Del Rio. Well, one of the interesting aspects of Washington's defense this season is that two rookies figured to play major roles, Jamin Davis and Benjamin St. Juice. I said, Benjamin St. Juice. You like it in juice, eh? Yes, I do likey the juice. I am a fan of the juice. So Washington took Jamin with the number 19 pick in the 2021 NFL draft. There has been plenty of talk that Jamin has not progressed as well as the team may have wanted. There has been talk that Jamin will not be on the field when Washington is in nickel, that the two linebackers in nickel will be Cole Holcomb and John Bostic. Ron Rivera admitted that Jamin in Washington's preseason opening loss at the New England Patriots looked tentative. Some of that is to be expected. I mean, the guy was a starter at Kentucky for just one season. Personally, I'm not that worried about Jamin Davis. It may take a while for him to become the player he was drafted to be, but this guy's got a lot going for him. Tremendous athleticism, uh, reputed character that is like through the moon, okay? Um, I, I, you know, I don't want to do the thing of like, oh, he's not playing as much as we thought he would play, and oh, he looks tentative sometimes, and so, oh, this guy's a bust already. Like, give the guy some time. Uh, anyway, Jack Del Rio on Thursday on whether Jamin Davis is ready for the regular season. I like where Jamin is. He's um, got got work to do, like like we all do. But um, he's had a, had a real solid camp for us. And then with Benjamin St. Juice, uh, Washington took him in the third round of the 2021 draft out of Minnesota. It's quite possible that Benjamin St. Juice, not Jamin Davis, is Washington's most impactful defensive rookie this season. The emergence of Benjamin St. Juice is part of why Jimmy Moreland got released in the cut down to 53 now two Tuesdays ago. Jack on Thursday 
on Benjamin St. Juice. You like it in juice, eh? No, sorry, that wasn't Jack. This was Jack on Benjamin St. Juice. Yeah, similar. I think, you know, those guys um, have come in from day one. They've been very mature about going about their business and, and working at it. Um, you know, we just asked them to, just like we did last year, you know, we had some guys last year that were new to us. Um, you know, we asked those guys to come in and learn our system and some of the fundamentals that we teach, principles we play with, and then go out and compete and have fun. And that's, those guys are going to be good, good players for us uh, for a number of years. But, um, you know, I think, I think the way they've approached it at the start has been what you look for. So Jack says that Jamin Davis and Benjamin St. Juice will be good players for Washington for a number of years. Uh, wouldn't that be nice? And then there's this big picture item, the progress for the Washington football team's defense. So Jack Del Rio did such a good job as Washington's defensive coordinator last season. The 2020 Washington defense, statistically speaking, is one of the most improved defenses in recent NFL history. Drastic improvement in just about every significant statistical category. And yes, there are nits to pick, you know, and there are some people who just love to pick the nits of the 2020 Washington defense, but the defensive improvement was massive. What are the measuring sticks that Jack will use for tracking defensive progress this season? Uh, For us and how we look at it, yeah, we, you know, we have a um, production chart, you know, that we monitor that week weekly, um, and we have our expectations up there. So, um, you know, without getting into specifics, I just tell you that we have a standard and things that we're expecting, and um, we don't we don't like adjust them down because we're playing good people. So, uh, you know, we're looking forward to uh, the challenges that are in front of us. Uh, we've got a good group, and um, we've worked hard to prepare, and we're ready to go. I like that. Jack has a production chart. Wouldn't you love to know what's on that production chart? Washington's 2020 defense was the team's best defense since at least those very good Greg Williams-led Washington defenses in 2004, 2005, 2007. Uh, I do not include the 2006 defense because that defense was terrible. Uh, I do believe that Washington now, with Ron Rivera, with Jack Del Rio, with the defensive talent, is in the best defensive place that the team has been in since at least those Greg Williams seasons, and maybe possibly since the Richie Pettibone seasons. My rhyming keys for the Washington football team against the Los Angeles Chargers, my prediction for the game, and my prediction for the Washington football team's 2021 regular season. I'll do all of that after this. All right. Well, Washington football team season has finally arrived, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Washington football team tickets. That's because TickPick that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference 
in the purchase price. We're all excited to watch the WFT this season. Whether you're looking to watch Young, Sweat, and the defense battle Mahomes and the Chiefs or Brady and the Bucks at home or wanting to travel with Fitzmagic and the guys to watch him play at Rodgers and the Packer, at Carr and the Raiders, or you want to hit up the division games, Tick Pick has you covered. Again, Tick Pick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets, no more of those ridiculous service fees. So here's what you do. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now and use the promo code Galdi to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K P-I-C-K dot com slash Galdi and use the promo code Galdi. TickPick.com slash Galdi and make sure that you use the promo code Galdi. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, my friends, it is time to rhyme. It is time for rhyming keys. I will rhyme the path to victory for the Washington football team in its game against the Los Angeles Chargers Sunday afternoon at one. You see, this podcast at its core is about two things, analysis and stupidity. (laughs) This podcast at its core is a combination of of two extremes, high-level critical thinking and statistical analysis, and silliness, hijinks, and tomfoolery. And this segment perhaps captures that combo best. Always know that these rhymes are not meant to be good. They are simply meant to make a few points. And in fact, the worse the rhyme, the better the time. And so here we go. Rhyming keys for Washington versus the Chargers. Rhyming key number one, this is for Scott Turner and Ryan Fitzpatrick. With Curtis Samuel likely down, ride Cam Sims and or Diami Brown. Either one is fine. Both would be best. And of course, there are plenty of other Washington targets to be thinking about. But Samuel, due to his groin injury, did not practice on Wednesday and then did not practice on Thursday. Uh, If, in fact, he doesn't play on Sunday, that can't mean that Washington's potential for explosive plays goes bye-bye. Washington has got to be better this season at generating explosive plays in the passing game than the team was last season. It has stood out to me how often Ron Rivera has said that the team will be fine if Samuel can't play. And Ron has praised Washington's other receivers, especially Cam Sims. Ron seems especially high on Cam Sims. But what you have in Cam 
and Diami, of course, are potential big-time playmakers. Cam was a playmaker as last season went on. No Washington pass catcher was more productive in that wild card loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last January than Cam Sims. He had seven receptions for 104 yards on 13 targets. Diami over his last two seasons at North Carolina averaged 20.12 yards per catch, and that was over 106 receptions. That's a lot of catches over which to average 20-plus yards per reception. There obviously are other pass catchers who Washington needs to be good on Sunday, right? Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas, Adam Humphreys. But Cam Sims and Deami Brown in particular are two guys who can make the expected absence of Curtis Samuel not that big of a deal. Cam Sims and Deami Brown need to be on. They need to catch the football, especially Cam, who has had an issue with drops. Cam and Deami should get opportunities because we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't shy about throwing deep and isn't shy about throwing balls up to receivers and giving them chances to make plays. Cam and Diami need to make plays. And so rhyming key number one for Washington versus the Chargers with Curtis Samuel likely down, ride Cam Sims and or Diami Brown. Rhyming key number two. This is for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Have a week one performance. That doesn't make you say, oh, shucks, but instead reminds us of your 2018 week one with the Bucks. So Sunday's game against the Chargers will mark a fourth consecutive season in which Ryan Fitzpatrick makes a week one start. His last two week one starts have not gone so well. A week one of the 2020 season for the Miami Dolphins, a 21-11 loss at the New England Patriots. Fitzpatrick had no touchdown passes versus three interceptions, and he averaged just 6.37 yards per pass attempt. Week one of the 2019 season for the Dolphins, a 59-10 home loss to the Baltimore Ravens. Fitzpatrick completed just 14 of 29 pass attempts, averaged just 6.38 yards per pass attempt. However, week one of the 2018 season for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Fitzpatrick played out of his mind. A 48-40 shootout win at the New Orleans Saints. Fitzpatrick, 21 of 28 for 417 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. He had two touchdown passes to Deshaun Jackson, including a 58-yarder in the first quarter. And Fitzpatrick had a 50-yard touchdown pass to Mike Evans in the third quarter. This is the Ryan Fitzpatrick who we need to see on Sunday. Confident, fearless, dynamic, accurate. We know that there are two very different faces of Ryan Fitzpatrick. There is Ryan Fitzmagic, and there is Ryan Fitztragic. He's a high-variance quarterback. He's one of the more Jekyll and Hyde quarterbacks you'll ever see. The Fitzpatrick of week one of the 2018 season was vintage Ryan Fitzmagic. That was Yolo Fitz. This is who we need. And so rhyming key number two for Washington versus the Chargers, this one for Ryan Fitzpatrick, have a week one performance that doesn't make you say, aw shucks, but instead reminds us of your 2018 week one with the Bucks. Rhyming key number three. This is for Chase Young. Make it clear that you are greater than the Chargers. Rashawn Slater. 
So I talked about this on Thursday's show, episode 141, the Chase Young, Rashawn Slater matchup. The Chargers in the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft took offensive tackle Rashawn Slater with the number 13 pick. Slater is set to be the starting left tackle on a revamped Chargers offensive line. He played collegiately at Northwestern, which of course is in the Big Ten. And so Slater faced Chase Young while Chase was at Ohio State. And it was Rashawn Slater who handled Chase Young better than maybe any offensive tackle handled Chase in his final season at Ohio State 2019. I am sure that Chase Young is aware that this is a talking point for this game. And judging by the way that Ron Rivera talked about this issue at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday, Ron and Jack Del Rio may well be using this talking point as a means of motivation for Chase Young. Uh, Not that he necessarily needs to be motivated, but I would love to see Chase silence any notion of Rashawn Slater being the Chase Young kryptonite by humbling Rashawn Slater in his NFL regular season debut. As the Iron Sheik likes to say, make him humble. Make him humble. Yes, Sheiky baby. Make Rashawn Slater humble. Make him humble. Yes, Sheiky. Make the jabroni Rashawn Slater humble. Put him in camel clutch. And there's a larger point here. The Chargers offensive line was really bad last season. Now, like I said, the Chargers have revamped that offensive line. But this is a game in which Washington's defensive line could have its way. Washington's defensive line could be feasting on Sunday. Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Matt Ioannidis, them boys could be eaten on Sunday against a revamped, but still not very good, Chargers offensive line. And so rhyming key number three, For Washington versus the Chargers, this key for Chase Young, make it clear that you are greater than the Chargers. Rashawn Slater. Make him humble. Yes, thank you, cheeky baby. And I have one more. It is rhyming key number four. This is for Washington's defense as a whole. Do not get shook by Jared Cook. You know, the Chargers this past offseason lost tight end Hunter Henry and free agency to the New England Patriots. But the Chargers this past offseason signed free agent tight end Jared Cook. Cook has been durable, unlike Henry. And Cook has been very productive in recent seasons. He, over the last three regular seasons, had 22 touchdown receptions. He, over the last two regular seasons, playing for the New Orleans Saints, had 16 touchdown receptions. I do not have to tell you how often our team The Washington football team has been burned by opposing tight ends for years. Cook is a very good pass-catching tight end. He's a red zone threat. He can generate yak. We all know that not letting Justin Herbert go off on Sunday is a big part of Washington winning this game. Not allowing Justin Herbert to have a big game very much includes doing a good job on Jared Cook. And so rhyming key number four, do not get shook by Jared Cook. All right, it is prediction time for both this game and for the season. So the line per Caesar Sportsbook as of very early Friday morning when I am taping this segment is Washington minus one. Yes, the Washington football team is favored to win this game. 
You know, one of the most frustrating things about Jay Gruden's tenure as Washington head coach was Washington going just one and five in week one games under Jay. Well, we saw Washington win in week one last season in what was Ron Rivera's first season as Washington football team head coach. Washington overcoming a 17-0 second quarter deficit and a 27-17 win over the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in week one of last season. I believe that Washington now is a well-prepared team. I believe that Washington now is a much more disciplined team. Is Washington perfect? No. Are the Chargers formidable? Absolutely. But I like Washington to win this game 2017. The game will be close. I said the game will be close. It means you're close. Yes, thank you, Brucey. As for the season, look, there are a million things that are going to happen with the Washington football team between now and the end of the regular season. Every season prediction is a total guess. But like I said, this team is in a better place as compared to in previous recent seasons. The team is better coached and better prepared. The roster is more talented and deeper. There are two major keys to this Washington football team season. A, the quarterback play needs to be appreciably better than the quarterback play was last season. B, Washington needs to be relatively healthy and playing well going into the final third of the regular season. Remember, each of Washington's last five regular season games is an NFC East game. All Washington basically has to do is just have a passable record over the first 12 games, and then you really need to make hay over those final five regular season games, all of which are NFC East games. Ron Rivera coach teams historically do their best work in the second halves of regular seasons. We certainly saw that trend continue last season. The Washington football team in the 2021 regular season will go nine and eight and repeat as NFC East champions as we will have a repeat champion of the division for the first time since the Philadelphia Eagles won four consecutive NFC East titles from 2001 through 2004. Our team isn't great, but our team is getting better. And I do believe that we'll see more signs of that this season. All right, so we now go from one football Friday staple to another. We go from rhyming keys for the Washington football team to Goldilocks for week two of the college football season. You've heard of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. This is Goldilocks, my weekly college football picks against the spreads for Maryland, Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. Week one was a winning week, two and one. Week two sees all four teams in action, although one game is largely off the board. Maryland hosts Howard Saturday night at 7.30. Howard is an FCS team. Obviously, we expect a comfortable win for the Terrapins off their glorious 30-24 victory over West Virginia in College Park last Saturday. Terps do have a quick turnaround for their next game, which is at Illinois, Friday night, September 17th at 9. And so here we go. Goldilocks, all odds are from Caesars Sportsbook. Goldilocks game number one. Virginia, home to Illinois, Saturday morning at 11. The Cavaliers are minus 10. Yes, this game is a Saturday morning game. Uh, Virginia will kick off before noon in a game at Scott Stadium for the first time ever. 
Uh, the last time that UVA played a game at 11 a.m. Eastern, the 2003 Continental Tire Bowl. Uh, so the Wahoos began their season with a 43-0 blowout of William & Mary, which is an FCS school in Charlottesville last Saturday night. The game was a laugh for The game was exactly what the game should have been from Virginia's perspective. Now comes a game against an Illinois team that already has played two games, a 30-22 win over Nebraska on August 28th and a 37-30 home loss to UTSA last Saturday. Yeah, UTSA, the University of Texas San Antonio won at Illinois. Uh, UTSA is in Conference USA. Illinois' head coach is Brett Bielema, the former Wisconsin and Arkansas head coach. Public money is pretty strongly on Illinois, which does have talent, including quarterback turn receiver Isaiah Williams. Uh, I'm going to trust Virginia for this game, especially considering that very early start time. Again, 11 a.m. Uh, I could see that messing with the fighting Illini on the road. Give me Wahoo minus the 10. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Yes, thank you, Snoop. Goldilocks, game number two, number 19, Virginia Tech, home to Middle Tennessee. Saturday afternoon at one, the Hokies are minus 20. Tech number 19 in the latest Associated Press Bowl. This, of course, due to the huge season opening win for the Hokies. Maybe slash probably the biggest win of the Justin Fuente era. A 17-10 win over then number 10 North Carolina last Friday evening. The Hokies improved to 1-7 and against top 10 opponents with Justin Fuente as head coach. The Hokies annihilated the Tar Heels quarterback, Sam Howell, held him to just 17-32 passing, held him to just 6.5 yards per pass attempt, intercepted him three times, sacked him six times. Now, one of the worst things that you can do in betting college football is chase week one results. Don't let what happens in week one dictate how you bet in week two. The entire world now loves Virginia Tech and thinks that North Carolina is terrible. I would slow your roll on those things. Uh, I do think that Tech is pretty good, but is Tech that good? We'll see. Uh, this game for Tech against Middle Tennessee reeks of a potential letdown. This is a game for the Hokies against a lesser opponent in Middle Tennessee, right? Middle Tennessee is a Conference USA team. This is a game for the Hokies coming off an emotionally charged win. This is an early afternoon game. This is that classic letdown spot. Consider this too, Middle Tennessee's history under head coach Rick Stockstill. So Rick Stockstill has been the Middle Tennessee head coach since 2006. Middle Tennessee, during Stockstill's tenure as head coach, has five wins over Power 5 conference opponents, with six other games against Power 5 conference opponents having been decided by a touchdown or less. Also, Middle Tennessee has a good quarterback, Bailey Hockman, a transfer from NC State. He has been named the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award watch list for this season. Middle Tennessee smashed Monmouth, which is an FCS school, 50-15 last Saturday. Look, the Hokies should win this game, but I could see Middle Tennessee keeping the score within 20. So give me Middle Tennessee plus the 20. Make money, money, make money, money, money. All right, and then Goldilocks, game number three, Navy, home to Air Force, Saturday afternoon, at 3.30, the midshipmen are plus six. Now, Navy usually plays Air Force in early October, but this game moved up this year. 
to commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11. The game marks the opening leg in the battle for the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy, which goes each year to the winner of the round-robin competition between Navy, Air Force, and Army. Navy has won the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy 11 times over the last 18 years, and Navy is 27-10 and in its last 37 service academy games. So as I said in the Goldilocks segment on last Friday's show, I'm a big believer in the contrarian handicapping philosophy of betting against popular public plays. But the truth is, contrarian handicapping is about a lot more than just finding games in which public betting is heavily on one side and then betting against that side. What you really want to do is find games in which sharp money, the money of line movers, is being funneled to one side. Now, often the anti-public side for a game in which the public betting is heavily on one side and a sharp money bet are the same play, but not always. And so what you really want to do is find games that fit the criteria of what's called reverse line movement, okay? I'm pulling back the curtain on my process here to explain how I approach Goldilocks. So reverse line movement is when a line moves in the direction of further encouraging a heavily bet side to be bet on even more. So if the public is pounding one side, but the line moves in the direction of enticing even more bets on that publicly favored side, that's reverse line movement. Because in theory, the house wants 50-50 action. Continuing to entice people to bet the side that's already being bet on a bunch is a sure sign of sharp bettors pounding the other side. And you always want to be on the side of the sharps because they know what they're doing. I bring all of this up because we have had some reverse line movement going on with this Navy Air Force game. So you have Navy coming off a terrible performance in week one, a 49-7 loss to Marshall in Annapolis last Saturday. You have Air Force coming off a 35-14 win over Lafayette, which is an FCS school, last Saturday. Public money is pretty solidly on Air Force, and yet the line for this game has gone from Air Force minus seven to Air Force minus six, even Air Force minus five and a half in some shops. The casino, in theory, wants 50-50 action, although games rarely work out that way. But if you're trying to entice more action on Navy, why has the line made betting on Air Force more appealing? Again, the line coming down in recent days. That, my friends, is reverse line movement. That, my friends, is an indication of sharp money coming in on Navy. And that matches up with what I think is going to happen in this game. Navy is going to play much better than it did against Marshall. Navy was a mess against Marshall in all three phases, offense, defense, and special teams. Head coach Kenny Amatololo during his postgame press conference ripped his team's performance. But there is no smarter, more disciplined, more try-hard team in college football than Navy. The midshipmen will be better on Saturday, especially when you consider that this is a rivalry game and that this game marks the first leg in the battle for the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy. And so give me Navy, and I will gladly take the six points. Make money, money, make money, money, money. All right, Snoop. So Goldilocks for week two, Virginia minus 10, Middle Tennessee plus 20, and Navy plus six. Yeah, we are riding two underdogs in week two of the college football season.
Well, it's too bad that the Nationals are dead and buried when it comes to postseason contention because the Nats were involved in a heck of a game on Thursday night. A 7-6, 10-inning loss at the National League East leading Atlanta Braves in Game 3 of a three-game series that the Nats ended up losing two games to one. That's now 58-82. and So the Nats have now officially clinched a second consecutive losing season and their first losing season in a 162-game season since 2011, uh, when the Nats went 80 and 81. Uh, so for the Nats, that season it was not a 162-game season, but you get the idea. Sometimes a team doesn't play all of its 162 games. But if you didn't want to count the condensed 2020 season as a true losing season for the Nationals, well, you have no choice but to now count the 2021 season as a true losing season for the Nationals. But this was some game on Thursday night. Seesaw matchup back and forth. Nats scored two runs in the top of the first and exactly one run in each inning from the sixth inning through the ninth inning. The Braves scored exactly one run in each inning from the third inning through the sixth inning. Two runs in the bottom of the eighth and a run in the bottom of the tenth. The two teams combined for six home runs, including five homers by the Braves. Every homer in the game was a solo homer. The Nats scored the game-tying run in the top of the ninth on a wild play. Josh Bell in the top of the ninth, a one-out grounder that resulted in a force-out on which Lane Thomas scored the game-tying run to tie the game at six. Bell slid headfirst into first base as first baseman Freddie Freeman failed to catch a bad throw from second baseman Ozzie Albies, who was charged with a throwing error, perhaps causing the throwing error, was Juan Soto's slide into second base. There was a lot happening uh, in this game. But because we are long past the point of the outcomes of these Nats games actually mattering, I wanted to get into the performances of some definite slash potential building blocks for the Nats. So Luis Garcia is killing it right now. He has become the Nats every game second baseman. He's been batting pretty consistently in the number eight spot in the lineup. And Luis in this game on Thursday night, two for five with a big solo homer and a double and he made two nice defensive plays. So Garcia in the Nats' one-run seventh had a first-pitch leadoff double to right field. Garcia in the top of the eighth had a two-out go-ahead solo homer to dead center for a 5-4 Nats lead. You thought that that was going to end up being the play of the game. That was some shot by Luis Garcia, who has not been a great batter during his time at the Major League level, and honestly, really wasn't that great of a hitter in the minors. But Luis Garcia... This home run, a projected 448 feet per stat cast. And Luis Garcia made two really nice defensive plays. Uh, made a terrific defensive play for the final out in the bottom of the seventh as he, with the bases loaded, two outs, and the game tied at four, charged in on a Jorge Soler grounder that deflected off Mason Thompson. And Garcia scooped and tossed the baseball with his glove to Josh Bell for the put out at first base. That was some play. And then Garcia made a really nice overhead basket catch in shallow right center field on a flyout by pinch hitter Orlando Arcia for the second out in the bottom of the ninth with the game tied at six. You know, Luis Garcia is a guy who can make the flashy defensive play. He is sometimes, though, someone who doesn't make the routine play. So you want to see that defensive consistency. But the guy's got tremendous athleticism and tremendous skill. And I hope, like heck, he can prove to be a worthy every game second baseman for the Nationals. The concern really has been the hitting. But the hitting is coming around. Luis Garcia now over his last eight games, 11 for 32 with a homer, a triple, six doubles, and three singles. Yeah, he's hitting for some power here over the last week or so. 
Lane Thomas was again productive for the Nationals on Thursday night. Your every game starting center fielder and leadoff batter for the Nationals these days. Lane Thomas got on base four times on Thursday night. He went two for three with a triple, an RBI single, and two walks. Thomas in the Nats two-run first drew a leadoff six-pitch walk, despite having been down in the count at 1.02. Thomas in the top of the fifth drew a two-out five-pitch walk. Thomas in the top of the seventh had a one-out first-pitch game-tying RBI single through the left side of the infield to tie the game at four. And Thomas in the Nats' one-run ninth had a leadoff first-pitch triple to dead center field on a ball on which the brave center fielder Jack Peterson failed to make a leaping backhanded catch on the warning track on the first pitch thrown by Juan Soto's buddy, the Braves closer, Will Smith. You know, that's a play that Peterson could have made, didn't. I mean, it was not an easy play. It was a makeable play. But Thomas did hit that baseball hard, gets credit for the triple, and the lane train continues to roll. Lane Thomas now over 97 major league plate appearances with the Nationals, a batting average of 313, an on-base percentage of 402, and a slugging percentage of 530. Juan Soto got on base four times on Thursday night. He went two for three with an RBI single, another single, and two intentional walks. Uh, Juan Soto in that Nats two-run first, a one-out RBI infield single, despite having been down to the count at 1.12. Soto in the Nats one-run six had a leadoff full count single. Soto in the top of the seventh drew a one-out intentional walk. And Soto in that Nats one-run ninth drew a one-out intentional walk from Will Smith. So we did not get a confrontation between Will Smith and Juan Soto. But Juan Soto's major league leading on base percentage now, all the way up to 452. That is an amazing number, a 452 on base percentage. He now is a major league leading 116 walks on the season. What a year Juan Soto is having. Uh, as for the Nats pitching in this 7-6-10 inning loss at the Braves on Thursday night, Eric Fetty was the Nats starting pitcher. He was better uh, but he still was not good. Uh, this, in a lot of ways, was a weird game for Eric Fetty. So Fetty's final line is four runs in six innings. That's not good. But the peripherals were actually quite good. He only gave up five hits. He had seven strikeouts versus no walks. And he threw a bunch of strikes. He threw 70 strikes versus 38 balls on 108 pitches. So you say, well, how the heck did he give up four runs in six innings? Well. Because while he only gave up five hits, all five hits were extra base hits, three home runs, and two doubles. And so when that's the case, uh, you can give up four runs in six innings. Fetty allowed a run in the bottom of the third on a one-out solo homer by Stephen Boat. Fetty allowed a run in the bottom of the fourth on a one-out full-count double by Freddie Freeman, followed by a one-out game-tying RBI double by Austin Riley on a one-two pitch to tie the game at two. Fetty allowed a run in the bottom of the fifth on a one-out full-count tie-breaking solo homer by Stephen Vogt for a 3-2 Braves lead. Fetty allowed a run in the bottom of the sixth on a first-pitch leadoff homer by Jorge Soler. So, like I said, Fetty was better than he was in his last outing, but it's all relative, man. Eric Fetty has been really struggling. 11-9-9 inning loss to the New York Mets at Nationals Park last Saturday afternoon in game one of a doubleheader. Fetty, seven runs, four earned in three innings. So, okay, he didn't do that on Thursday night, but he still gave up four runs in six innings. He now has, over his last 13 starts, an ERA of 6.57. Uh, his season really has spiraled downward. Eric Fetty, over his first 10 starts this season, had an ERA of 3.33. What was looking to be a breakout season for Eric Fetty 
now has become maybe slash probably the worst season of his major league career. And Eric Fetty now, over 24 starts this season, has an ERA of 531. The Nationals are so lacking in organizational pitching depth that I think Eric Fetty has to be a part of the pitching staff in some form or fashion next season. I'd be pretty surprised if he wasn't, but I don't know how you can just peg him as being a member of your rotation next year. Not with his lack of overall success, not certainly with his lack of success this season. Again, a 531 ERA now over 24 starts on the season. Now, the Nationals' bullpen was interesting in this game on Thursday night because Davey Martinez was basically handcuffed while juggling when it came to reliever availability. So remember what happened in the Nats' previous game, that 4-2 win at the Braves on Wednesday night. Sean Nolan got ejected after throwing just a third of an inning due to throwing at Freddie Freeman and then hitting him uh, with a pitch. Remember, Nolan threw at Freeman twice. Uh, First pitch of the plate appearance, Nolan threw a pitch that sailed behind Freddie Freeman. And then the next pitch ended up nailing Freeman right on his hip, right? That was in response to Will Smith having hit Juan Soto in the previous game. So the Nats had to lean on their bullpen a ton on Wednesday night. And the Nats bullpen delivered six Nats relievers in that game combined to allow two runs at eight and two-thirds innings with 12 strikeouts. But plenty of people were not available. And so Davey Martinez used three relievers to cover three and two-thirds innings on Thursday night. And uh, the results were very mixed. Uh, Sam Clay, Mason Thompson, and Wander Suero were the guys. Clay started the bottom of the seventh, but allowed the Braves' first three batters to reach base. He gave up a leadoff single to Jock Peterson, despite him having been down at the count of 1.12. Then issued a six-pitch walk of Dansby Swanson, followed by a four-pitch walk of Travis Darnot to load the bases with no outs. And that was it. Davey yanked Sam Clay at that point. So Mason Thompson comes into the game and puts out the fire in the bottom of the seventh inning. Mason Thompson pulled off some feet in that bottom of the seventh. He comes into the game with the bases loaded, nobody out, game tied at four, and ends up not allowing an inherited runner to score. Thompson induced a 3-2-4 double play off the bat of pinch hitter Eddie Rosario, issued a two-out intentional walk of Ozzie Albies, and then got Jorge Soler on an inning-ending ground out. Mason Thompson was a fireman. He put out the fire in that bottom of the seventh inning, But then Mason Thompson gave up two homers in the bottom of the eighth inning. Uh, Thompson in the bottom of the eighth gave up a game-tying leadoff homer to Freddie Freeman on a bomb to right field, 429 projected feet per stat cast. And then Thompson gave up a one-out go-ahead solo homer by Adam Duvall to left field for a 6-5 Braves lead. Wander Suero then was used by Davies. Suero tossed a perfect bottom of the ninth. That was good. But Suero then allowed an unearned run in the bottom of the 10th on a leadoff five-pitch walk of Jorge Soler, a one-out full count hit-by-pitch of Austin Riley, despite him having been down to the count of 1.02 and a two-out walk-off single by Jock Peterson. So tough spot for the bullpen to be in. This was another one of these games, though, in which you saw some good. Like I said, what Mason Thompson did in that bottom of the seventh inning was pretty spectacular, honestly. Again, bases loaded, nobody out, no Braves runs end up scoring. But then you see Thompson struggle in that bottom of the eighth inning. Like Mason Thompson's game on Thursday night epitomizes the Nats bullpen. Sometimes it looks awesome, and then sometimes it looks putrid. And uh, you saw that with Thompson giving up the two home runs in that bottom of the eighth inning. You saw Sam Clay uh, getting nobody out and facing three batters in the bottom of the seventh. And you saw Wander Suero have a Jekyll and Hyde night, right? Looking really good in the bottom of the ninth inning, but then not looking so good in that bottom 
of the 10th inning. One more thing here in terms of who did what on Thursday night. So Kbert Ruiz was, again, the Nats starting catcher at number seven batter. He went 0 for 5. Uh, Kbert Ruiz now is 3 for 28 with three singles and two walks for the Nats at the major league level. Uh, remember, Kbert Ruiz is the number one prospect in the Nationals organization. He, per MLB Pipeline's latest list of the top 100 prospects in baseball, is the number 19 prospect in the sport. He has not looked good so far as a batter. Now, I don't really take that to mean much of anything, okay? Uh, If you believe in the player, if you believe in the potential, you by no means say, oh, what's going on with this guy, right? You got to let him play through it. You got to let him grow with it. Uh, I would keep him out there as the everyday catcher for the Nats uh, the rest of this season. You know, like, he's not going to catch every game literally, but you get the idea. He's your number one catcher. So, you know, four or five times per week, he's your starting catcher. Uh, But it is worth noting, he has been uh, rather underwhelming so far uh, at the major league level for the Nationals. Next up for the Nats, a three-game series at the Pittsburgh Pirates. All right, the Orioles got shut out on Thursday night, a 6-0 loss to the Kansas City Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards for a split in the four-game series. O's now an American League worst, 45-94 with a major league worst run differential of minus 235. O's totaled just three hits, all of which were singles to go with four walks. The only good offensive news was that Austin Hayes didn't play, so his career best 15-game hitting streak remains intact. What mattered the most from this game from an Orioles perspective was that John Means was really good, and maybe just maybe Means is ending his season in a good way. Means allowed two runs in seven innings on five strikeouts, versus five hits and two walks. This marked the third consecutive start in which means was at least decent. His uh, most recent start prior to Thursday night's came uh, last Friday night, the 4-3, 11-inning loss at the New York Yankees. Means in that game, two runs in five innings. I mean, he wasn't great, but, you know, two runs in five innings, I guess you can live with. Prior to that outing was Means in the 4-3 loss to the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on August 28th, allowing two runs in six into third innings. And in that game, he tossed six into third scoreless innings, but then gave up back-to-back one-out hits. A single followed by a double was pulled from the game, and both runners scored off reliever Dylan Tate. So Means has been better here over these last three starts. Certainly was quite good on Thursday night. John Means, though, prior to this three-start stretch, had allowed 35 earned runs in 56 innings over his previous 11 starts. So he had been struggling. And it really had been one of the more disappointing developments of this Orioles season that a guy in John Means who was lights out early in the season really had fallen off. Uh, John Means over his first eight starts this season had an ERA of 121 and a whip of 0.71. Remember, he threw a no-hitter early in the season, a 6 nothing win at the Seattle Mariners on Cinco de Mayo. But then John Means started having some issues. He landed on the 10-day injured list from June 6th to July 20th with a left shoulder strain, and he really hasn't been that good since that white-hot start over his first eight starts, but better lately and certainly quite good on Thursday night. Also on Thursday, the O's put Matt Harvey on the 10-day injured list with right knee inflammation. Uh, I don't know if that ends his season, but um, I would say, look, man, what exactly would be the point here of moving forward with Matt Harvey 
the rest of this season. He was not particularly good in his last outing, which came in the 9-8 win over the Royals at Camden Yards on Wednesday night. Four runs, three earned, and four into third innings. The guy has an ERA of 627 over 28 starts this season. He is not a potential building block. Uh, he's on a one-year contract, so it's not like you can flip him uh, this offseason or anything like that. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Resign him and then try to flip him again next season? Like, no, give his starts to younger pitchers with more upside. I, I just, you know, enough's enough here with the Matt Harvey experience. Uh, he joins a starter turned reliever Jorge Lopez on the 10-day injured list. Uh, Lopez was put on that this past Tuesday due to a right ankle sprain. His season could be over. Uh, and oh, by the way, official attendance at Camden Yards on Thursday night was 5,087. So the O's did not set for a third consecutive night, an all-time attendance low at Camden Yards in terms of a game for which full capacity was allowed. Remember, the Orioles on Tuesday night and Wednesday night set attendance lows, all-time lows for full capacity attendance at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Tuesday night's attendance, 4,981 then was surpassed by Wednesday night's attendance of 4,965. But we had an attendance spike on Thursday night of 5,087. So a new record was not set for a third consecutive night. Uh, Next up for the O's, a four-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays at Camden Yards. Four games over three days, Friday through Sunday, as there's a doubleheader on Saturday. All right, my friends, that will do it for you and me, but just for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Well, it begins on Sunday, the Washington football team's 2021 regular season. It will be a ride no matter what happens. I will, of course, be with you on Monday for episode 143 for a Washington football team postgame installment of the podcast. I'll also recap the college football weekend for Maryland, Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia, and I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. It is an awesome time of year if you're a sports fan. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the football. Hail to the Burgundy and Gold, and I'll talk to you on Monday. My approach has always been, you know, fear nobody. Uh, but respect them. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.